Hello, friends, and welcome to Backstory. I'm your host, Alex Roberts. Friends, I just want to let you know that this will be the last episode of Backstory until September. I'm taking the month of August off, and I'm going on a little European tour. If you're going to Ropicon in Helsinki, Finland at the end of July, you should totally get in touch with me and let me know. If Backstory has Finnish fans, I would like to meet them. Speaking of fans, I want to give a huge thank you to everyone who supports the OneShot Network Patreon. This show would not be possible were it not for the OneShot Network. And the network wouldn't be possible without your support. So, if you're on Patreon and you choose to support the network at any level, thank you so much. The fact that I have a network to back me up, keep me in fancy microphones, and whatever it takes to actually host a podcast on the internet, I don't have to worry about the technical details, and I can just focus on bringing you the best interviews I can do with the most awesome guests. And speaking of awesome guests, I'd like to introduce you to Casey Hardy, a co-organizer of the Shadowmoor LARP. Shadowmoor has been around since 1997. It's like the most classic campaign boffer LARP, like the kind where you go out in the woods and you hit each other with sticks, but there's so much more to it than that. I'm fascinated by any community that has been healthy and sustainable for that long. I've talked with Casey many times about changes and challenges, being a part of an organization like that with that kind of history, and taking part in a kind of role play that is a lot more diverse than I think a lot of people realize, and is actually kind of foreign to my own LARPing experience. A natural pick for the show, so let's jump right in. You were doing this like annual summit thing with your GMs, right? It's actually happening this weekend um, and it's the biggest one we've had in a while. So we're meeting with a couple of different folks from different games to talk about boring rules things and also changes that we're making to some of the community standards, getting rid of some old conventions in the game that are not really keeping with the times socially or safety wise. And trying to collaborate on that across different geographic areas because we have a lot of players who travel back and forth between our games. And it, it's a good idea to keep a common experience for everyone. And the more people we have bought into that, I think the more consistent it will be. Before we even get into some of the changes, which I think we've talked about, I'm really interested in the way that your game and your community is part of this kind of like wider federation. Uh, what what does the structure of that look like and how did that start? So uh, our game is one of the older boffer LARPs in the Southeast. And a lot of those came out of a history of the original boffer LARP in the US, which was Nero way, way back in the day. And that's your typical fantasy Dungeons and Dragons in the woods, very heavy rule set type of campaign. But as as the original Nero scope started to grow, and before their founder had really decided what they wanted their licensing scheme to look like, there were several people who had gotten on board early with that that wanted to start their own games, but be able to tweak the rules and have a little more freedom in the kinds of stories they were telling. And they were far enough away geographically that that really made a lot of sense. There wasn't going to be a lot of conflict. So the original branch of Solar, which is the game that I run a branch of, is in Georgia, which is very southeast. And that has been going on for five or six years longer than my campaign. And it got very large. There was a very big player base. But driving to the Atlanta area 
from places like North Carolina, Virginia, even some places even further north is very challenging to do for a monthly campaign. So it made a lot of sense both to start up one that was maybe a little more central and also one that could tell a different type of story. So central campaign is very political and kingdom-based, lots of nobles, lots of politics. Uh, our campaign is more of a scrappy frontier town. And even the site that we run at supports that. Uh, we rent a big state park. It's got lots of historical buildings and, and is kind of out in the wilderness. So it was both a uh, convenience measure and also one that supported the type of stories that this campaign is set up to tell, which is intentionally different from other games in the same rule set. Right. And, but people carry over the same character? Yes. There's some portability between characters in the campaigns. As the campaigns have diverged over the decades, there are some character types that don't make a lot of sense. But we make sure to give everyone the opportunity to find a way to bring their character in as part of the same logical game world so that they can tell the same types of stories they want to tell in a way that doesn't break anything with the meta rules. So if there's a particular class or a particular race that isn't really a good fit for our campaign, we find something else for them to play that's very close and then help them find a story reason to explain why they happen to look or behave slightly differently when they come to visit because we have magic and it's all imagination. So there are lots of different ways that you can justify that. Right, right. So when a sea elf shows up and you're, you know, you're supposed to be in a desert or whatever, there's some kind of, you know, equivalent. Exactly. Yes. Or or sometimes there may just be a reason for them to have traveled very far from home. Um, and we'll find a way for that to make sense where they don't have to try to say, well, it was all out of game. You can continue to tell a consistent story. So you'll find other game systems that do similar things with having national organizational tools and big databases of characters where they're all telling a consistent story across the entire out-of-game nation. All, their, all of their game owners have to coordinate and do certain things. We're a little more flexible. So we're telling stories in a different part of the game world entirely where we don't have to step on each other's toes. But we want to make sure that certain things match. And that's where we uh, have those touch points of coordination. Right. And so I imagine that's one of the things that you coordinate via these summits. Yes. Um, and it's not something we do very often. There have been years or even multiple years where we're just telling such different stories that it makes no sense at all to try to coordinate. Uh, if we tried to do that, we would run into storytelling conflicts and, and just make everyone's lives harder. And we generally try not to run into situations where we do that. But what we do want to do is at the more meta level of the community, because really, yeah, we're playing a game and we're telling a story. But if your community is not on the same page about what the expectations are and what kind of rules you're using and, you know, what kind of gameplay you want, that's where things can really start to fall apart no matter what you're doing. So we've put a lot of effort into trying to make that thoughtful and consistent and even if we're not sharing stories, we can share best practices, we can share tools and materials that we've generated so that all we can take all the best things from our cohorts and they can take all the best things from us and leave behind the things that don't make as much sense. And so, so there's a sense of support there as well, I guess. Yes, absolutely. And we support ourselves, each other, not only by you know building up what we have, but also trying to look at things that might be a bigger problem since we have people who journey between games Sometimes personal conflicts come up. Um, sometimes there are bad feelings about the way a certain story was told. Um, and we have to make sure that we're supporting people and having their opinions and their feelings, but also recognizing that we're part of a community where you don't want to tear each other down. You want to build each other up. So recognizing that, yes, you had an experience the last time that wasn't maybe very satisfying. We're going to look at that in the face 
and try to figure out how to improve it instead of saying, well, that's just the way it is. Get over it. You know, it's we have to take care of the person and the player and not just the character and the story. Oh, I, I like that. I like the way you've put that. You know, at the top, you were talking about some really overarching changes, some things that are starting to shift in this world uh, that you're a part of. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Can you expand on that? Yeah, one of the things that I can mention is just the fact that our game system is almost 30 years old now. There were things that were fantasy tropes and well-accepted features of the genre then that are more problematic now, especially in the South. So using certain offensive names for races that back then were completely fine, that's something that might be written into our rulebook. And players have brought it up as saying, you know, they recognize why that is the way it is, but it, it makes them uncomfortable and they're looking for a way to maybe instigate some change and get support for using a different name. Just as, just something as simple as can we call it something different? Not because they're trying to accuse anyone of being racist or of being insensitive, but just looking for a way to have a positive change in the environment. And I have to admit in the South, and in a game system as old as ours, sometimes that is a really tough conversation to have because if you raise a problem, sometimes you're worried that what you're going to get accused of is stirring up trouble and drama. Uh, and some of that's just from cultural history. People don't like to be seen as the squeaky wheel. They worry that they're not going to get the amount of support that they need. So we feel a big obligation to, again, seriously address the request and give it the appropriate amount of thought. And usually that means we'll say, well, we're going to think about this and talk about it for a while instead of making a snap decision. And we're going to do what's best for the game community. And also we have to consider what fallout that's going to have for other people that are sharing our system or other people that may have played the game a long time ago and are coming back. Yeah, Things change, but there are drastic shifts that may worry people and make them feel as if um, it's no longer the community that they recognized. So we're trying to be sensitive to all of those things, but also say, as something that is so old in the game community in our area, do we have a responsibility to make sure that we're also being leaders? And how far are we willing to go with that? And how quickly are we willing to go with that? And are the things that are important to us in that area also important to other people that we work with? Or are we going to be going it alone? And if the answer is yes, cool. But we need to make sure that we're prepared for that. And I think the thing that I'm excited about is that we're finding that the answer is not no. It's that other people are also thinking about these things privately and wondering, am I going to be the only one? And they're finding that they have support in that and the conversation is becoming more public, which is good. You mentioned this obligation that you feel to be a leader. What, what do you think that that means to be a leader in this kind of community? So it comes from a couple of places. Yeah, I came into the position of being responsible for running LARP from having been a player for over a decade and from working with people who have done that far longer than I have. And I, I think I found that you get the luxury of having opinions without feeling responsible for doing anything about them when you're a player. And that's a really nice place to be. But when you're suddenly in charge of the community and what sort of face you want to present to the world, you have to think about one, are you, are you putting your staff in a position of being able to tell the stories they want to tell without feeling guilty about certain aspects of that? And two, are you recognizing that your game is not just a game, but it's also a community of people? For a lot of our players, this is their primary social place where they come to interact. It's the thing they look forward to on a regular basis. It's their escape from how tough the real world is. And that can be a complicated space to play in because, yes, we do tell stories that sometimes address traumatic or problematic issues, but we have to be careful about how we toe the line 
on? Are we bringing someone who is a real human being, some trauma from involving them in this situation or presenting certain elements? Or are we telling things in a way that let people feel like they might have some control that can then bleed back into their own life and give them more confidence and you know some more positive feeling? So all of that ties into what I feel leadership means, which is to set an example and be willing to take steps so that someone can follow you but also be working on a level where they can go at the same pace that you can. Uh, you can lead by saying it's all going to change immediately, or you can be more sensitive to how everyone else around you is going to react and bring them along. Shadowmore, your LARP, has been around since 1997, which is kind of mind-boggling to me. <laughs> Just as someone who hasn't been a part of a really long-running thing like that before, what are the elements of sustainability of keeping a community going for that long? So I have a lot of thoughts about this, and I recognize that I'm coming at it from a fairly new perspective. You know, it, since 1997, I was I was just a kid. <laughs> and there are people who have been involved in the game since its inception, and even longer in the older campaigns. Part of what you have to be respectful of is the fact that in a campaign that is that chronologically long, there's a lot of history and events and encounters that people had as their characters that are meaningful and, and have been around long enough to really become a part of who they view themselves as. Their stories that they tell to remember good times, their jokes that they tell with friends that they've had that they met at the game. You know, it's, it's really important for them to be able to remember those things as a touchstone of things that were true. So it would be a very big deal for any, any one of our games to say, you know, we're just going to start over. We're going to use a different time period. We're going to wipe everybody's characters and put everybody back on the same level for game meta reasons. But sorry, all the stories that you told in the in the previous time frame are kind of over and closed. That would be something very traumatic to the game community. There are a lot of reasons why someone might want to do that. Um, it makes things a lot more manageable and in some ways sustainable, but it's also not really where the community wants to go. So there's one aspect of it. Another thing that we have to think about is the real human relationships that people have and the way in-game politics and out-of-game politics and friendships and marriages and breakups, even though it's a pretend world, those things all really still come into play. And we have to be sensitive to the fact that we may have something set up in the game world that's true and it's based on relationships between characters, but it may need to change in kind of a meta-governed way because someone's out-of-play relationships might start entering into that in a way that makes it difficult for them to continue to play that. So we have to get creative and think about ways to be flexible to that and considerate of that without turning it into a situation where you're playing favorites or where you are telling a story at someone instead of with them when they're really not ready to go that direction anymore. And also documentation and memory have a complicated place to play. If we if we documented everything in the game with 100% fidelity, this is how it happened, this was this was the truth of the matter, this was how these characters were feeling at the time, these are the exact words that they said, you kind of paint yourself into a corner. So we actually intentionally don't publish a lot of history. We may have it written down for reference, but that's not public knowledge for every player because it's so much more fun and more important for memories to become wrong and inaccurate, just like real world memories do, so that you can then play with that. So we actually use that as a tool and as, and as something to be encouraged, you know, let our players 
misremember things and forget things and communicate imperfectly and build on that because that is how a real world lives and breathes. Even if we know something used to be true in a different way, we don't necessarily cling to that and try to fight it. We'll let players remember the world the way they want to and then move forward from there. Wow. Yeah. I mean, well, it's a, it's a world of the mind, right? It's an imaginary world. And so it makes sense that it obeys the laws of imagination and memory. It also gives us the ability to reintroduce things that had been true in a way that will be surprising and interesting for players. Some people may remember the way it was. And if they see something that validates that or that calls back to that, that gives them a hook into the world to say, I have information here that is valuable. I have a memory or a story to tell that may help solve this new problem in a way that no one else does. So we can use the truth as truth, and we can also use falsehoods as truth in a way, uh, and in a way that doesn't invalidate anybody's experience, but just puts a new spin on kind of like the ending of the Clue movie. You know, here's how it really happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that can be a lot of fun, but it can also be kind of a challenge just from a documentation standpoint. We have to make sure that we have our own story straight. Can, can you give me an example? I'm just realizing how abstract this much must seem to, to someone who hasn't done a lot of LARPing. So for someone who hasn't done a lot of LARPing, you might have a character that has been terrorizing the land for, you know, several years as a, you know, an evil overlord. And the, the original way the story might have come out was that they lost a child or a loved one and they decided to take vengeance on the entire world and they were going to do this by dominating the land. Well, it, it may have come out in player encounters that there was actually a more humanizing story underneath that. You know, they, um, they didn't want to take over the land, but they were pressured into it by another power and they fell to dark forces and have become this horrible monster. And that may be something that, you know, 10 or 20 players know. It may not impact the outcome of the, the eventual story, but they know that there was a more human person under the hood. But the way that story gets told to everyone else five or six years later is, there was a completely despotic evil overlord conquering the land. They were heartless and there was nothing redeemable about them. Their memory must be shunned. And you could uncover a book later that has something to do with that to say, you know, you remember that family and that dark force? It's back. <laughs> and it has a more corrupting influence than you were led to believe because everyone forgot about that part. They just wanted to tell the black and white story. So you can pick those threads up and turn it into something new while still calling back to what everyone decided to believe about the story that they lived through. Uh, and then uncover more details that have been forgotten. I can see how in a game that's really long running, the people who have been there for a really long time have a kind of power that newer people don't, right? Whether it's in the system and the rules and the stats, or whether it's just because they have that memory and that experience. Is that something that you have to struggle with? Or is it something that you embrace? Uh, how do you manage that? So I think it's always a challenge, and I don't want to word this in a way that makes it sound like anyone is wrong or bad or a problem, but it is something to recognize that you do have a game that has numbers attached to it, and there are logical limits to what you can do with some of those numbers. So you may have, you know, the ability to call so much damage or cast so many spells. There's an in-game economy and there's money associated with it. And it's true, the longer you play the game, the more likely you are to accumulate some of those resources to make character connections that allow you to make deals or find out information that you might not otherwise be able to get. And there is a tendency, especially in, in a long running community to kind of knit yourself into clicks where you're sharing information with certain people. You all kind of know what you want out of the world and you know how to optimize yourselves to go after that. So if you 
if you really want to be good at killing very big monsters, you might put together a, a standard group of people who all have really powerful magic weapons and they can afford lots of potions to make sure that they stay alive and they'll always be at the front of the battle lines, kind of, you know, saving the day. For someone who's new, I can feel really intimidating. And it's not that the people that have played for a long time and are very powerful are doing anything wrong. They're using the tools given to them and they're playing the game they want to play it. But we also have to make sure at a staffing level that we are giving people who are less powerful and less experienced direct opportunities to feel just as cool. And that might mean giving them something to fight alongside the big bad that is just as challenging to them. And if they take it down, they can get something, a piece of important information or a piece of a puzzle or a magical artifact that is going to be required to contribute to something bigger in the end. But they're the only ones that have it. Or um, you might put them in a position of because their spirits are unsullied or because they have some quality of being newer to the world, they're actually the ones that are required to fix the problem. So highlight them and give them places to feel like the stars uh, without invalidating all the experienced, strong, rich, powerful people in the game, but, but putting everyone on a level of impact that is more similar. And that is challenging, and I don't think we always do it right, but it's always something that we try to concentrate on because the worst we could do is just ignore it. Uh, so we're always looking for new ways to make sure that everyone gets to be the hero that they want to be in our world. You are the servant of many masters. <laughs> it is an imperfect uh, calculus. And <laughs> like, like I said, you know, when you get feedback from an event or from a particular encounter, there are always going to be people who just have the best time or they can't think of anything bad that they want to say. But there are also always going to be people who didn't get what they expected to get out of it or don't think that it was done in a way that served everyone, as you mentioned. We, we serve a lot of masters at all levels, and they will be very quick to call that out. And we have to look at that and accept that feedback in the spirit that it was given. Sometimes that's a spirit of frustration and feeling left out. Sometimes it's a spirit of saying, I don't think there's anything I could have done to change this, but I wanted you to be aware of it. And all of that goes into the mix and comes out the other side as hopefully something we can do better next time. And uh, we just, we do have to remind players constantly that, you know, there are some real human beings on the other side of that battle that you fought or that NPC that you had a big argument with. And it may not have gone the way we wanted it to either, but our intentions were not to give everyone a terrible time. They were to do something cool and we'll try again next time and hopefully it will go better. And what about the, the safety of the people? I mean, you're playing a, a contact game, right? People are hitting each other with sticks out there. And, you know, there's no 100% safety. What, what does safety look like in a game like yours? So there is definitely the safety aspect of it from a physical combat aspect. And our, our rule system as old as ours has had a lot of chances to go through play tests of different combat styles and different weapons you might use. And... We have uh, started introducing some new weapon construction types into our game after a long time where we can have weapons that look more modern and that have a lot cooler construction techniques. But first and foremost, before we make any changes like that, are some rigorous, long-running tests with our most vicious and enthusiastic players <laughs> kind of in controlled situations to make sure that it can stand up to the beating that they give any equipment and that anyone that they might be fighting against is not going to come out of the other side with bruises. You know, what's the safest way to use this equipment? 
What do you need to be mindful of so that you're doing it safely? And then we communicate that back in training sessions to the community and in examples and in also kind of an ongoing corrective feedback loop at events if someone is hitting too hard or doing something dangerous. Everyone is empowered to remind them to please adopt safe play techniques and to step it back, to stop hitting so hard. Um, and there are, of course, staff escalation measures if something is going really wrong and someone just can't seem to remember to use safe combat techniques. We do have safety teams that are available to address that. But I think more important than that is we have ingrained in the community an attitude of making sure that we're playing safely. If someone comes in and starts trying to use karate, kung fu, and kick people and, you know, wield sticks unsafely, they're going to quickly get called out by everyone as this is not the way we play our game. And here's how you do it safely. Let us help you. So that turns it from a staff monitoring concern into one that the community is just self-supporting, making sure that we're all doing the best we can to be safe. That's the physical safety. Well, I actually, I want to expand on that because how do you cultivate a community that can communicate with each other and can self-regulate in that way? That's a tough one. And again, I don't know if we always do it perfectly. We do have a lot of systems to try to catch places where that falls through the cracks. But one of the things that we do for new players especially is when we bring them in their first event, they actually go through some specific training with a larger group of people that are also new that's guided by more senior players about not how to read the rule book and not how to do all the magic spells and all of that, but how to physically interact with each other safely. And that includes combat and that also includes when and where people are allowed to initiate physical contact with each other, how to appropriately deliver feedback that maybe something is not going right, like you're hitting too hard or I can't hear your damage that you're calling. And they walk them through examples of that and show them what it's supposed to look like. And we also make sure that those people are available throughout the events, both in a marshalling capacity to kind of watch if there's anything going wrong in a big combat situation, and also to be available for questions. So when you're new to the game, all of the yelling and numbers and rules and shouting can be very confusing. And the senior players of all levels are there to answer questions. And that's kind of a, a badge of respect for them. A lot of them are very proud to be able to say, if you have any questions about anything at all, grab one of us. If we don't know the answer, we'll go find someone. Because that's them being good community members. And that's something that we have trained up as something to be desired in our community. So you want to be recognized as a helper. That is a good thing. And everyone will applaud you for being a good helper, even if it was just something small. That's interesting. So something about this ongoing community where experience is really respected, looking out for each other and knowing sort of those best practices, which happen to include safety is, I don't mean this in a bad way, but like status related kind of like you're sort of using that natural system that comes up. It also encourages people to themselves become experts very quickly because they know they'll be able to help their friends. They won't have to interrupt their play experience to go ask a question because they will know the answer. So yeah, it can be a status thing, but it's not one that gives you any benefits in the game world. You don't get extra money for that in the game. You don't get any extra encounters. It's really, you're helping grease the wheels so that everyone can just get on with their day and continue to play and not have to go find something. So that is really helpful. And we also, you know, we make our rules available electronically and kind of keep them around the site. So if there is a conflict, people know where to go and what to ask about so that they can quickly get that resolved and move on. So there's not a lot of waiting around or having an argument about something. There are places to go to resolve that. But the, I think the number one thing that we tell all of our players and try to repeat over and over to help 
make that community standard a community standard is if there's ever a conflict and it looks like it's going to come to a place where you can't agree, it's every person's job to kind of take everyone with the best of intentions and to err on the side of the other person or of the person who is going to be coming out on the bottom of the situation. So if you have a player versus player conflict and it looks like you're about to get into an argument about whether that spell just hit you, if I threw the spell, it would be to my benefit to say, you know what, it looks like it actually missed, so let's just move on and continue with the combat. Or if I if I was feeling really aggrieved that, you know, the spell hit me and it shouldn't have, it might be to my benefit to just say, you know what, it totally worked. I'm going to take the effects of that. Let's just continue to resolve the situation. So err on the side of the other player is a big one, and it's not always perfectly implemented, but it's a good spiritual aspiration to have. You know, always be considerate of the other person who's playing this game with you and isn't here to make you have a bad time, but really just wants to be able to fight you and say, yeah, I totally got off with that. (laughs) I won. Let's move on with our lives. But you were talking about other kinds of safety. Yes. So the other side and probably the bigger side in all ARPs, but definitely a LARP where you have a lot of people, maybe 150 people at an event in a persistent game world where there are all these power structures and history and the ability for someone to be objectively right or objectively wrong about something is emotional safety. And this is not something that there is necessarily a roadmap for at any given LARP. So we have to be careful about the tools that we give people to resolve emotional problems and the support that we give them and teaching people to recognize what their feelings are doing. This one's a really tough one. So again, when we bring new players in, they're typically hit with a rush of rules and responsibilities and the right and the wrong way to do something. And for a very long time at our at all of the games in the campaign, I think that was more of the focus. Here's how to play the game. We've started going out to other LARPs and listening to other leaders and LARP communities to understand how to train people to be good players and also train people to be good community members. And those are two very different skill sets. And so we actually have a special training session that anyone's welcome to come to at any time, any event, where we talk about how to be good role players with each other, how to be generous, how to be considerate, um, how to build stories that are going to be satisfying. And also, you know, if you want to enter into a, a role playing situation or a story that you think might have a consequence of, you know, making you have an emotional reaction that you didn't ex- expect or being really traumatic, how to regulate that so that your other players can help support you in getting out of that situation or in making it more intense so that you don't feel trapped in something um, as a player that you can't get out of. So there's a lot of weight given to take it in play is the usual word that we use. You know, if something, if something goes wrong and you might be tempted to accuse another player of being unfair with you, it's much better to assume that their character meant that in an in-play way so you can resolve it with the, with the game rule system um, and find a satisfying resolution to it. But that can kind of be poison in some situations because it can be used by people who aren't really thinking about it as, as kind of a bullying mechanism sometimes. And I'm not calling anyone in our games a bully, but you don't always realize I'm not role-playing really. I'm just using my force of personality to try to get something done. And if the other player doesn't feel like they have a method of asking them to slow down or back off or you know allow them to resolve the situation in another way, they're going to feel like they're backed into a corner. So we're teaching our players how to give you know the popular okay symbol and the thumbs up, thumbs down to regulate the intensity of role play. And also teaching 
our players very intentionally that the player is more important than the game. And when we say that, we don't mean this is your excuse to try to get out of consequences for stuff your character did, because your character may be a totally bad dude and doing bad stuff. But if you need to take a minute and kind of recalibrate so that you can resolve that situation and be able to you know, have the negative consequences for your character, we ask everyone else who's playing with you to be respectful of that and not to push it until it's ready to be resolved. But sometimes that gets misused. It's, it's definitely a learning process, but it's turning a confrontational situation into one that can be negotiated and even more intense instead of something where you don't feel like you have an out at all. And we've had some good success with that. And we've also had some players who have jumped into the idea that they really want to have challenging roleplay situations because they know that if it goes wrong, they have a way to step back from it. We've had some players do things like cut their hair at the game to atone for something bad. Now it was planned, but just being willing to enter into a situation where you could surprise your fellow players with that and make a really dramatic statement isn't something that you would probably feel safe doing if you didn't feel like you had control over that. If someone said, you have to cut your hair for this, there's no way you're going to do it. But if you get to choose to do that, it turns it into a cool roleplay moment that you got to control and you got to tell your own story. Which, I mean, that's why we LARP, right? That's why we LARP instead of going to the movies. Exactly. And we have many players who, they look at our game and they see our rulebook and they think, this is going to be a LARP where we're just running around and hitting each other. I don't feel like doing that. Where do I fit into this game? And so we put a lot of focus on finding other methods of allowing people to roleplay that doesn't involve having to resolve a conflict with combat. We have magical systems that involve astrology and, you know, messages from secret powers where you're really just puzzle solving. Uh, we have methods of interacting with, with history and with cultural groups that are really about problem solving in a positive way instead of just going out and beating something to death and being done with it. We're introducing, and our sister campaign has done this and we're definitely following their lead, but we're trying to introduce classes and options in our game that are specifically for people that are not physically able to engage in combat but still want to contribute to the game. You know, we, we run our games at state parks. There are lots of roots and trees and we play in the dark and there are some folks who just simply cannot interact with that safely. And so it feels like to them, you know, maybe they can't come contribute to the game. Are they going to sit on a porch all weekend and talk to people? Are they just going to be stuck in a cabin, you know, casting boring formal magic or crafting something? It's not fun for everyone. So we're trying to find ways that encourage other people to engage with those players and also give them benefits for doing so in the game, allowing certain magics to act in different ways against them and allowing them to have powers that only they have, which in ki kind of in exchange for not having all the real life physical power that they might otherwise have, they can get some benefits of being the only ones that can see certain things in the world or having access to history or the ability to resurrect people or you know, other interesting things that make them uniquely powerful. You know, like I said, a lot of people with a lot of really different needs, I mean, never mind serving the needs once you know them, how do you stay in communication with that community? How do you how do you make sure that you're kind of in tune with it? So we do make sure to solicit feedback from people, but I think that's just a really black and white way of understanding how people are interacting with the enter entertainment that you're trying to give them. So one thing that some of our staff do, we have we have staff members, senior staff members who are definitely responsible for running some content and events, but they're also responsible for going out there and being players. 
Like their job is to play alongside everyone else and be available to respond to problems as they come up as they happen instead of trying to address it after the fact and also just kind of watch and give feedback about how certain things are going. So it's not like they're spies, but we tell all of our staff members, it's most important for you to know what it is like to play this game. We don't want permanent staff members who never play. We want people who are sharing the experience with their fellow players and can interact with them in more of a friendly way where they don't feel like they're having to go to staff with a problem, but can just kind of candidly talk about a good feeling or a bad feeling or how they're liking things going and how they're trying to deal with it. Sometimes that stuff makes us makes it back to game management. Sometimes it doesn't. And that's also important because you don't want to feel like you're going to get tattled on if you have a negative opinion. It's perfectly okay to have a negative opinion, but you might not feel comfortable bringing it to game leadership because you might feel like you might have a negative consequence against you, even if that's not true. That's That's really hard to get out of your head. So you need people to talk to that have some influence, but aren't responsible for resolving the problem. We put people in that position intentionally to keep our fingers on the pulse of the game community. And then we also try to rotate out different staff positions so that we're getting different feedback from different places. We have several different committees of people that are responsible for different things like new player entertainment and running our tavern and running our volunteer monster staff. And we try to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to get involved in a lot of those so they can see different parts of the game and bring that experience back and help others understand, you know, you may have not understood why this particular thing went the way it did and it's for an actual logistical reason. And they're more willing to have someone vouch for that if they've gone through the experience. So that also helps a little bit. You know, something that I think about when it comes to communities like yours is how do you avoid like a sort of hierarchical, like, this uh, this power consolidation that can happen when something is run by a small group of people for you know a larger and larger number of of others. So how how do you make sure that it's like kind of a co-created thing and a cooperative thing when it's never going to be you know completely horizontal? It's true. It is never going to be completely horizontal, and especially at a game like ours where you are operating under the weight of history and the weight of community expectations. And just, you know, simply from a game leadership point, the people that I have at the senior level, I really need to be able to personally trust them. And I would not be comfortable swapping out for someone who is new to the game, not because those people are bad people, but just because, you know, it's, it's putting them in charge of something that I have to be able to manage my staff effectively. So there are always going to be people at the top level that are going to have more access and potentially more influence than others. But we do our best to select certain qualities in those people that allow us to trust them not to abuse them. So we we do make sure that our senior staff know they're expected to follow the same rules as everyone else. And if we find someone who seems to be misusing their power or even really giving the appearance, even if they don't mean to, of doing something that might put them in a bad light, we try to call that out and be really blunt and, and accept feedback from people to say, like, even if you did not mean to appear to be having secret information like let's remove you from the situation where that's going to be a problem for the good of the game put someone else in charge of it make sure that you're not the one running your encounters for the people that are your best friends you know just kind of mix it up so that no one can claim favoritism in a really easy way and then bringing people up through the ranks and giving people a path and an opportunity to to experience more game leadership like uh, our new player committee tends to be constructed of people who are really interested in learning how to tell stories for the game and learning the rules and wanting to understand how the sausage gets made. 
but they have a more limited scope than some of the senior members so that number one, they're not put in a position of having to learn a bunch of things that might ruin their play experience, but also they're closer to the people that they're going to be entertaining as far as remembering what they're going to expect and what's going to be fun for them. But it also gives them that leadership position to say, I had a plan and I executed it and I had to accept feedback from people that may not have been completely positive and here's how I'm going to handle it. So that gives you, you know, a little bit of humility, but also some people management skills. And as, as we move up the chain, we tell people, you know, if you want to be in this role and we put you in a specific leadership role, we would like that time to be limited so that someone else can have a chance at it. If you entrench someone in a role for a long period of time, they're going to stop focusing on sharing information because they know how to do all of it already. So it's, it's less of a burden for them. And it just puts them in a position of having an expectation that they kind of rule the roost. And that's not a bad thing. I certainly appreciate my staff who have expertise in an area, but I really want to see cross-training and multiple skills that give you sympathy for other players and kind of remind people that, you know, there there isn't one person who's empowered to just make a ruling about the game. There is a community, and if there's a problem, there are other people to definitely go help with that so that you're not stuck having a problem with someone who's responsible for solving the problem and won't. Um, we operate at a very intentional level of shared responsibility. And I think we could do better at this. Uh, I think we all could, especially in a game as old as we are. But we're thinking intentionally about it and trying to find ways that will allow us to perpetuate that flexibility without destabilizing things that are really important to make sure are consistent. It, it's, it really sounds like this is something that you yourself are struggling with right now. I think we might always struggle with it. And... Part of the thing that I think we're missing is good written expectations for some of our staff. Not that they're doing anything wrong, but having some examples to reference and some clear processes that players also know that people are being held to will probably help with that. So that there's not a perception that if I tell this person of a problem and nothing happens, well, that's it. I just got ignored, right? There's got to be some clear expectations about how conflicts are handled and how concerns are handled. And some of our players intuitively grasp that. And some of them think this is all totally social and I shouldn't even bother bringing it up to anybody and I'm just going to give up and have a bad time. That's not what we want. We want to solicit people's honest feedback in a way that makes them feel safe and then demonstrate to them that we are doing something about it in a way that is sensitive, but also confidential when it needs to be and and doesn't drop off the map. So one thing that I in particular have really driven home is There is an official method of communication for the game so that there's a paper trail if there's a complaint brought up. People can talk about hearsay and bring up verbal problems all they want, but if we're going to address an issue, we're going to give that player a record that we absolutely had a conversation about it. And they can reference that and they can do whatever they need to with it, but it doesn't turn into a he said, she said. There is something that they have that is theirs that can support them if they feel like they're not getting the results that they need. Right. And I mean, that can protect you as an organization, but I think it's really, really important for people who, who bring up a complaint. Yep. And we, again, there's there's still a hierarchy of uh, the buck does ultimately stop with the game owners. And sometimes we're the ones who have to make a ruling. But we are also trying to give people methods of bringing feedback against us. We've had several folks who didn't feel comfortable bringing the issue to us because it was one of us. And we have tried to give them a positive experience with being able to bring it to someone else and say, you know, I heard that feedback and thank you. And here's what I'm going to do to change it. Not don't talk to the game owner because they're just going to kill your character, which would never happen. But there's always that fear. You're dealing with other humans. Humans are unpredictable. People have egos and you may have had a bad experience in the past. 
So mutual accountability is really important to us. And that's something that it sounds like you're working on in kind of a tangible material way. Yep. I think that's always going to be the theme of stuff I think we could do better. But we're trying to do better instead of just letting it rest. And the things we don't feel we have the emotional capacity to tackle today are definitely on the radar and on the list for as soon as we feel like we do have the emotional capacity for it. And we will tell people very directly, you know, I could give you an answer about this now, but I don't feel like I'm I'm in a state to give you a well-reasoned answer. So would you be okay with letting me think about it for a while and then come back to you? And that's gotten a lot of really positive responses because then you know you're not just getting a knee-jerk reaction. You're going to get something that was hopefully a little more well-reasoned and has a little bit less emotion behind it and has been thoroughly examined if there's a problem. Looking forward at your community, what, what are some aspirations that you have? What I want to avoid is having a community that stagnates where we're just telling the same stories over and over again and what has been gets perpetuated. Uh, people just want to keep playing the same characters and telling the same stories because they're afraid of losing something or because they're afraid of not getting to tell stories that are as satisfying. So my aspiration for our game is that we're going to be able to integrate some of the role-playing techniques and tools that have started to become more popular in the U.S. in the past five or six years. I'm certainly not suggesting that our game is suitable to become, you know, a Nordic-style freeform LARP or a black box LARP or a LARP where we change the entire world setting and story every couple of years. But I really want to give my players more confidence and power and tools to tell stories within the game world that aren't world shattering, you know, personal stories about family and about relationships and about personal wins and losses that number one, allow players to entertain each other because there are only so many staff members and only so many big stories that can get told. And number two, teach people and give people the opportunity to to be a creator themselves because we, most of us don't come to a LARP, I think, to try to play you know, like World of Warcraft or an online role-playing game where everything is just set in stone. You want the world to be flexible to you. And there's only so much creativity our staff have. Sometimes you get burned out and you can't figure out where to go with the story. And the well that you are going to dip into for that is what is important to your players? And the best way to get that communicated is to give them the ability to kind of come up with their own things that are important to them and start telling stories around them. And you can latch onto them and make them bigger and more important and more meaningful and start tying just the game community world together at a very game local level, like the city that our players live in and all the interaction with within it can become in some ways much more important than what's going on in the rest of the game world. The rest of the game world will go on. Empires will rise and fall. Horrible dragons and liches will raise the land. But if if what you care about is, you know, how is my family here in town doing? And we're having a real personal issue right now. So, hey, Lich, can you step off? That can be a really interesting story. And I, I aspire to give our players the tools to do that and the support from our staff to do that, where we can come in and play a long lost family member or tell a story about you know, the hump that you want to capture a herd of horses without turning that into just personal plot that only one person sees, but a bigger story for the rest of the game community to enjoy as well. When when you're doing the, this kind of this kind of overarching change, you know, whether it's in the kind of stories that you're telling or in the way that your community is structured, in the way that you take care of each other, is this something that you're that you encounter resistance to? I think more often we encounter trepidation because some people, this is the only game that they've ever played, and change is very scary. And if you're playing a game for as long as a lot of our players have, you like the experience that you're getting. Anything that is different in that can be very nerve-wracking. We do a yearly rules update to make sure that 
you know, if anything has changed that we think would be better served by just making a rule about it, uh, we will introduce that once a year and give players time to absorb it and get used to it. And that itself often brings up a lot of controversy. Someone's always going to be dissatisfied with that. But when you start thinking about that level of change at the the character of the world and the character of the gameplay way, people get even more nervous because they think, you know, am, am I going to have something that I enjoy taken away from me? Uh, is something bad going to happen to me because of a change or to my character? And they're not necessarily ready to handle that. Like they didn't get to control that. So it's not as cool. So what we're, we're trying to do is involve people in kind of being responsible for that change in some ways by encouraging them to interact with new people that might have different LARP experiences and bring back their best practices. We really push hard to encourage our players to go out and play other LARPs, even if they're other buffer LARPs or if they're Nordic or if they're big blockbuster things or, you know, small local things. We want our players to have a rounded experience of what they like from somebody besides us. And we often tell our players, if you don't, if you're not having fun at our game, please let us help you find another game to play. Like, don't try to force our game into your mold. Let us find one that just matches with you. And I think that gives people a lot more comfort that they have some control over their game experience in a general way and in a really specific way. And also we're being very explicit when we're introducing like new community safety techniques and new ways of role playing. We're trying to model that with certain stories that we tell two players and stop and say, okay, guys, you really get to decide how the story ends up here. Do you want kind of a positive ending or a negative ending? Do you want your character to have any really bad consequences? We promise we'll make it fun for you, but would you like to have an out-of-game conversation about that? That's new. And when we say, we want to have a different roleplay option for you, some players go, but I like the roleplay option. But then when they see what it looks like in execution, they, they get it. They understand, oh, if I, if I want to have my character die a dramatic death, it's not a punishment. It's something that I chose and I can ham it up and it's going to be really cool and everyone will enjoy it instead of, oh, my character died. So demonstrating that at a staff level intentionally is one way and then opening that up to the player base to kind of remind them like, hey, are you bored? Do you want to come up with something with your fellow players? Do you want to have a tournament? Do you want to have a fight? <laughs> and, and then be there to help support them in that and you know, and watch or just to be there for questions. That's also a very helpful thing. How, how do you stay creatively, I, I don't know, invigorated, I guess? How, how do you keep those juices flowing when, you know, this is such a big part of your life? So that's a tough one for me personally, because I am the logistical, not feely back end of the game. I do most of the paperwork tracking and the organization and the scheduling and the staff management. Uh, my partner, my husband, is much more of the creative powerhouse. And so I think we do... We work well together because I can free him up to just have all the ideas and go execute them. But I do need to recharge. So I intentionally schedule time for myself to go play other games that I'm not in charge of. I don't have to be responsible. I can be a consumer. And that can be a very relaxing thing. It's difficult for me to step back and remember that I shouldn't be trying to be in charge of stuff sometimes. But, you know, you got to get away from the people that you play with all the time and do new scary things and fear is a good motivator. So I do a lot of that. And I also try to make sure that we have times and now is one we're in the middle of the summer where our game's on vacation. We don't run an event. We skip a month. We tell everyone you're not going to get an email response for a while because we need to do some real life things and concentrate on ourselves so that people don't feel like they're being ignored. But we have some space to breathe and not have to concentrate on getting things done and, and recharge for what will for us be the second half of our season so that we can really get ready to show people a good time without feeling rushed. 
So we set boundaries and then we make sure to fill those boundaries with things that are not draining to us and that give us some ability to step away for a while. I imagine that that's part of maintaining a sustainable community and leadership that, I don't know, can keep doing this. It's, it's so easy to get burnt out. Yeah, it's very easy. And we treasure our vacation time very much. And we also you know, make sure to tell our players, thank you for being patient with us to let them know that this is something that they can do for us. We're constantly asking, you know, how can I help? Well, one way that you can help is making sure that when we have to have some personal time, let us use that because we will come back feeling like we have been reinvigorated and you'll have a much better time out of it. So, you know, recognizing the sacrifices that our community make for us, for us to be human beings and to have needs and fill them is an important bit of feedback that we can give them to say, remember, we're real people too. And this is supposed to be a fun game, not a drain. So let's all support each other in that. And we support our players in that too. You know, if you're trying to tell a creative story for someone who's just not present there to feel it, you know, like they showed up to a game because they felt like they needed to be there because they were going to lose some power or miss something really important, then your game has turned into a job. And you don't want your players to have that experience of feeling obligated to do something because they're going to lose. So you know, there's some places in our game where that might happen through attrition or by accident, and we're trying to get rid of some of those things. You know, if you if you have a particular magic item or resources, you would like to have ways to not be worried that you're going to lose them because you needed to take a break. And some of those concepts have been integrated into our game for a while. So we're, we're working to get rid of those. And we're also working to encourage our players to like literally take a break from their character, try something new, do something where you're not in charge in game, remember what it was like to be new, and it's so much fun to play with people and tell stories for folks who are kind of experiencing something they thought they knew in a brand new way, that that can be extremely invigorating because it's like you get to see the world for the first time again. And you get to tell the world story to someone for the first time with all the advantages of them kind of knowing how it's supposed to work. So you can violate their expectations in creative ways and really give them a surprise that will stick with them. So that's that's an exciting thing that we can do within the game to stay invigorated. With everything that you've talked about, about things you're working on in your community, you know, strengths that you've seen, what, what is your vision of a healthy LARP community, you know, moving forward for another 30 years? Well, in a perfect world, I think we would have a game where everyone was really in touch with the difference between themselves and their characters and felt empowered to step back and do self-care when they needed to so that they could come play a game and not play an obligation and where we had enough staff and resources to be able to give everyone the experience that they want all the time. That perfect world is never going to happen. But what we have concentrated on is recognizing in a really boring, not storytelling, business management kind of way, what resources we need to help encourage that. And I know for my own part, you know, I want to empower people who have a desire to contribute to the game world to do that in a way that is meaningful to them, which means letting go of some of the responsibility that I have and finding ways for other people to pick that up in, in a sustainable way. So giving people tools and also giving people support to do that, you know, being a welcoming environment, I guess. We don't want our game to be impenetrable to people who have never been able to play a LARP before. You know, you don't want to show up and feel like you're never going to have any impact in the world. So continuing to focus on making our world accessible to all kinds of people of all kinds of abilities and races and cultures and be sensitive to the types of stories that we're telling. Modernizing something that is 30 years old is kind of tough. So figuring out ways to do that will be very fulfilling and really turning our game into a place where 
in a world where you, you need to escape in a lot of ways from things that are very difficult, you have a place where you can go that you know is going to be stable and creative and fulfilling and exciting and you can turn off all that other stuff and just pretend to be somewhere else for a while and know that it is all going to be okay. And that's probably the best thing a game can do for someone is to really let them forget who they are for a minute and step into somebody else's shoes. Your world is going to come crashing in on Monday, but if you get to spend a night in the woods pretending to slay a dragon or fear for your life or steal somebody's gold, cast a magic spell, you brought a little bit of magic back to the real world that you can look back on when stuff's really tough. So I want our game to be that. And even for the people that run it, I want that to be a thing that they can be proud of. Yeah, that, that's, that's beautiful. That's such an inspiring note. Why don't, let's wrap up on that note. I'm, I'm invigorated creatively. If my listeners are curious about, about Shattermore or about your work and what you're up to, um, where should they go? Shadowmore.org is our website. We also can be found on Facebook with Shadowmore LARP and probably all over the web. We've got an Instagram. I think we have a Spotify account. <laughs> some of my social media people have put together some soundtracks for our characters in our game. So anywhere you look for Shadowmore LARP, you will find us. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on, bringing your, your passion and your experience to the show. It was terrific. Thank you as well. Thanks again to Casey for joining us, and as always, thank you for listening. If you have thoughts on today's show, you should totally email me. That's backstorypodcast at gmail.com. And you should totally follow me on Twitter, too. I'm at Backstorycast. Backstory is part of the One Shot Podcast Network, as I mentioned at the top of the show. You can go to oneshotpodcast.com and find more awesome RPG-related shows like Neo Scum. Neo Scum is a future fantasy comedy podcast featuring five Chicago improvisers antagonizing their way through the role-playing classic Shadowrun. It follows a group of misfits and outsiders, a chromehead decker, a teenage candy junkie klepto, a kid show wizard with a petulant thirst for adventure, and the nastiest trucker this side of the Robo Mason Dixon. Join the irascible Neo Scum crew as they dole out street justice to every deeb they encounter, whether they deserve it or not. Again, you can find all that and more at oneshotpodcast.com. Music for Backstory is provided by Ujiko. The track is called Thinking of You, and you can hear more at soundcloud.com slash ujico. You can also find them on YouTube and Spotify and wherever else you get your chill beats. Talk to you later, friends, in September. September.